0: The following program is an original WWE podcast.
1: Coming up, we're joined by two superstars that I am a massive fan of here on the podcast Drew McIntyre and Keith Lee. Plus, it's Rumble season, meaning we are almost on the road to WrestleMania, and I'm in a bad mood. ATB starts now. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and let's talk about Monday Night Raw. Last night, I wasted three hours of my life enduring what was an insufferable television show. Now I'm going a little hard in the paint, but I mean it from a place of passion, okay? Raw was not all bad, but it left me with a really bad taste in my mouth. I watch Monday Night Raw from a very different perspective now. For many years, I called every minute of the action and I was kind of stuck in the bubble. Whereas now I'm sitting on my couch in Pittsburgh next to my girlfriend and my dog trying to enjoy Monday Night Raw as a fan. I don't watch it to pick it apart. Obviously, I watch it so I have things to talk about here on After the Bell because that's what I get paid to do. But man, oh man, oh man, last night was tough. Last night was hard. Last night physically made me angry. I tweeted something to the effect, and what really set me off was the Lana Rusev, Bobby Lashley segment. Now, I've beaten this to death, and this is of no fault to the performers. From the hours of 8 p.m. to 11 p.m., it has nothing to do with any of the talent. We have got more talent than we should even have the right to have. This is not their fault, but the show's as a whole, have just been lacking. And this segment was what really set me off because I noticed they went to a wide shot and in the middle of a match, in this heated rivalry that has been brewing for months and months in a small eternity, the entire crowd was silent. Nobody was moving. Nobody was clapping. It was complete apathy, which in this business is the worst thing you can have. You can be cheered. You can be booed. Sure, not everything works, But to have an entire arena full of people not reacting to anything that was happening is a problem. That's what piqued my attention. And then it got worse. For weeks and weeks and weeks, you have been promoting Liv Morgan and this return. And Liv Morgan, I've said on this show, in my opinion, is a star waiting to be born. She has this unusual reveal in the Lana Lashley wedding, which everybody had an opinion on, right, wrong, or indifferent. For the last week or so, she's been promoting on social media. She's going to be in Rusev's corner for this matchup. Liv's absent until the very final moments where she comes to the ring and gets coke thrown in her face and beaten up by Lana. Tell me why anyone in the WWE Universe should pay attention or care about Liv Morgan now. It's not Liv's fault, but we've been told for weeks that she's important. She's going to be a star, and the first time we see her do anything of consequence, she gets beat up rather effortlessly By Lana. What's this going to lead to? Rusev and Liv versus Lana and Lashley. Whoever wins, what does that do for anybody? It's just beating a dead horse. Let it go. Let it move on. You have four talented superstars there. Let them be talented superstars because this isn't it. This is just another, the latest example in a series of sort of callbacks to what was once the Attitude Era. Now, I read the internet. I know a lot of people have been clamoring for the good old days of the Attitude Era. And there are times where I look back and go, man, that was the boom period. That was the best period of being a wrestling fan. That's what really took my fanhood to the next level and made me want to be in this business was the Attitude Era. I, I don't think I'm off by saying a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably look back and go, man, I wish wrestling was like that. But the thing is, the things about the Attitude Era that we miss are not cheesy Jerry Springer storylines and four-letter words and boobs. The Attitude Era was awesome because you had a bunch of superstars who were allowed to figure things out, allowed to be themselves, allowed to connect, and weren't pigeonholed or forced into these garbage circumstances. And every once in a while, there was a terrible storyline, but people made it work because you could laugh at yourself. It was tongue-in-cheek And the talent made each other better. It was a competition night after night. You talked to Stone Cold. You talked to Triple H. Anybody who was on top during that era, you had to figure out how to survive. And it made everybody better. It made the product better. Yeah, there were a ton of awful, horrendous storylines. Mae Young gave birth to a hand. There was Katie Vick. I mean, some of the worst storylines in the business's history. Took place in the Attitude Era, but as a whole, the business was on fire because everybody had to step up. Even if you were in a garbage circumstance and a terrible story, you had the opportunity to make your own path, and I think that's what we need. That's what we as fans miss from the Attitude Era. Not crude storylines, not lewdness, not you know, puppies and, and jokes like that. We need more action and guys who are badasses allowed to be badasses allowed to be entertaining which I think is the goal for Rusev in this entire scenario to make Rusev be entertaining but also be a badass but give him somebody to fight give him some circumstances that allow him to be a star and show what he's capable of I mean the fist fight the first ever we are so enamored with the first time ever it's a fist fight it's freaking wrestling that's what every wrestling match is in WWE and around the world it's a fist fight with cooler moves So to promote the first time ever a fist fight, which is a rematch, by the way, from the week prior, and have all six guys, and again, I have to say this to death, it is not the guy's fault. All six of those guys are top-tier superstars. I am excited for what they're capable of, but walking into the end of Monday Night Raw looking like the the fight scene in Anchorman isn't it. And since when do you bring weapons to fist fights? Who the hell made the rules for this? I'm as confused as anybody. And while I'm ranting and pissed off, what the hell's happening with the Street Profits? I had these guys on the show a few few weeks back. They are super talented. They've proven themselves. They were massive stars in NXT. They are two of, if not the two most charismatic guys on Monday Night Raw. And they're doing backstage. And then they're doing Weekend Update. And then they're in a match. And then they're not. And now they're backstage yelling and doing promo. Like, I don't get it. Let the Street Profits be the Street Profits. Let them go. Let everybody be themselves. This micromanagement stuff has to stop. We are our own worst enemies in this situation. I just want to be a fan. I want to enjoy it. I want to watch my friends be awesome stars and have great matches. Great matches like Buddy Murphy and Alistair Black. They had great matches. I'm looking at the big picture. If I don't know who Buddy Murphy is and all I see is two weeks in a row him lose to Aleister Black or two times in a row... Why do I care? And again, I don't, I, Buddy Murphy's wildly talented. He's going to be a megastar. I'm just thinking out loud here because that's why I have a podcast. All right. I've caught my breath. I've uh, let some of the anger out of my compressor. I'm going to take another deep breath and drink some more coffee. I am under rested and over caffeinated. We are in for a hell of an ATB. Life is all about balance. Got to take the positive with the negative. I got all the negativity out of my system. (sighs) Breathe with me. Okay, good. Calm down. Let's talk about SmackDown. I had actually intended on starting this show before Monday Night Raw, uh, talking about how much fun I've been having on Friday Night SmackDown on Fox. It's been a slow but steady improvement. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's involved in something Uh, It feels fresh. It feels fun. The whole kind of overarching vibe of Friday Night SmackDown to me is not overly intense. Not everything is serious issues and blood feuds. You've got the one. You've got Corbin and Roman and, and all the moving parts around it. And everything else is just fun. I don't know any better way to say it. And I get paid to speak, so I guess I'm pretty terrible. The one thing that did stand out while I, you know, vented on Monday Night Raw and this has been a WWE-wide problem for years, I'm really over the potential contender beating the champion prior to the championship match. I feel like it happens all the time. Because it does. And it happened again this past Friday, Braun Strowman beating the Intercontinental Champion, Shinsuke Nakamura. Not only because I'm a massive Nakamura fan, and I want to watch everything that he and Cesaro and Sami Zayn do, I think there's... So much money in that trio. I love it. Everything about them. Sammy is so obnoxious. You just want to punch him in the face, which is what a good bad guy does. And uh, and I love Braun Strowman. And Braun's seemingly kind of been a man without a country recently. And and he seems to have direction now. And he's moving toward the Intercontinental Championship, which I am very okay with. Uh, I just kind of want to wait till the championship match to see the contender beat the champion. I just feel like it makes it less than. But again, it's flavors of ice cream. Everybody likes different things. It's not a bad thing. I just want a different thing. I feel like we see it all the time. I I miss wanting to know, man, is there any way the champion's going to lose to this guy that's on fire, this number one contender, this challenger who's setting the world on fire. Can he finally knock off the champion? I miss that chase and that anticipation. Elsewhere on Friday Night SmackDown, we've got the... Otis and Mandy Rose drama, which (laughs) despite what I say about Otis on television, I'm a huge fan of. I like heavy machinery as a unit. Otis is something, man. He's an attraction. I I remember talking to to Daniel Bryan about it the other day. Daniel Bryan is an encyclopedia about this business, and he realizes there is something there with Otis. The guy's a freak athlete, and he's bizarre and so unusual, and it's a lot of fun i like to see where this is going. Personally, I feel as though it's a little bit more like an elementary school romance. Like Otis is going to put two Valentines in Mandy Rose's Valentine's box in class, give her a cake that his mother made. Seems a bit elementary to me. I would like to, you know, grow it up a little bit. Give me some romantic comedy stylings. But hey, I'll take it. It's not bad. A lot of good stuff to get to on SmackDown, but I only have a limited amount of time, so I'm going to jump to NXT where it became more evident what a glut and embarrassment of riches the women's division in NXT has. In one segment, you've got the NXT women's champion Rhea Ripley, you've got Tony Storm, Bianca Belair, Kaylee Ray, Candice LeRae, Io Shirai, not to mention the people that weren't even on the screen at the time, like you've got Shayna Baszler, Dakota Kai. Tegan Knox, Mia Yim, Chelsea Green. I remember once upon a time when Asuka was running roughshod over the NXT Women's Division, and everybody said there will never be another Asuka. I was one of those people. Then comes along this woman by the name of Shayna Baszler, who equals if not exceeds what Asuka accomplished in NXT as Women's Champion. And then you think, there's no way anyone's going to be as dominant as Shayna Baszler. And then you see all of these women... In the ring, at one time, on the same roster. The potential is limitless. Pun heavily intended because of my guest Keith Lee. And I would be remiss not to talk about NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool 2. An awesome show. If you haven't checked it out yet, log on to WWE Network. Check it out right now. It is worth the time. If you're a fan of NXT UK, you loved it. If you're not familiar With NXT UK. This is a good show to watch. You're going to get eyes on a bunch of talent that maybe you aren't so familiar with. But really stood out to me actually happened before the card even began. It was on the pre-show. I was watching uh, with Tom Phillips and William Regal and Andy Shepard, who, by the way, shout out to Andy. He's doing an awesome job over there. I can't wait to see him stateside. But Regal said something that really struck me, especially knowing him as well as I do and as highly respected as William Regal is in this business and this company, Regal said that this is the best atmosphere in wrestling. It looked visually awesome, but you could see the excitement on Regal's face. And he's such a stoic, quiet type that that he never really puts things over as far as excitement other than when he's doing on-screen character work. So to see, he was touched. He was tickled and excited about what Blackpool was going to be. That's his hometown. And uh, I don't think... Anyone could disagree with him if you watched the action. I mean, Jordan Devlin and uh, Tyler Bate just tore the thing down. Triple H was putting it over on Twitter afterwards. And the other thing, back to NXT, that really, on a personal note, made me excited was the intro- the announcement that uh, the Time Splitters from New Japan would be reuniting in NXT in the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. Kushida has been a staple in NXT for some time. And what can I say about Alex Shelley that anyone that knows him hasn't already said, what a dude. Uh, we've lost touch over the years just because that happens in this business. I remember working a lot with Alex Shelley on the Independence years and years and years ago. Uh, the guy is, is a, tech, a technician and a just a really cool dude. I love Alex Shelley getting his just due under the WWE banner in any form. So welcome, Alex. Hopefully I uh, will bump into you sooner than later. And uh, the other thing that stood out to me, while I'm being positive, this is a new exercise for me I'm trying, Uh, Austin Theory. I caught the guy in Evolve when we did that co-promoted event on the network a few months ago when he was the Evolve champion. Uh, Austin Theory, that dude is going to be a megastar. You probably didn't hear it here first, but if you did, give me all of the credit. The guy's like... 21, 22 years old, built like a brick house of you-know-what. Dude can go, bright future for Austin Theory. Stamped, double-stamped prediction, bold one. After the bell. Not everything on Monday Night Raw was bad. In fact, it started quite good in a triple threat involving... The Viper Randy Orton The phenomenal AJ Styles And my guest right now My pick to win the 2020 Royal Rumble match Drew McIntyre Drew, how are you? Oh, I'm fantastic
0: You don't have to say that just because I agreed to do your podcast I would have done it anyway
1: Oh, wow, well, never mind, I take that back
0: Yeah, I did plan to, to win it As I keep saying, every week, the past few weeks You know, I've still not had my world title opportunity It's only been about, let's see, when did I get signed? I was 21, I'm 34 now Yeah, about 13 years, so I think I'm due one
1: world title match. (laughs) I'd say so. I've been on here clamoring for it for weeks, and I know I'm not the only one. But uh, let's let's take it back a few years. I mean, obviously, you mentioned you've been in in WWE for quite some time, but there was a long layoff in between. And that, I know we've had a conversation off camera, really – caused the metamorphosis in drew mcintyre not only the performer but as a man walk me through that what really went through your mind when you were the chosen one to no longer under the wwe banner
0: uh well basically the chosen one started when i was about 23 24 when uh you know vince endorsed me on television that's not something i knew was going to happen i was just in gorilla was aware i had a promo and they told me vince is going to say a quick thing and then you just go out and react i was like okay and then he went out on television and you know, put me over as a future world champion. As I say, you know, he d- didn't say when.
1: It's 10 years later. <laughs> I mean, it's still Without technically the future. We're yeah, still t- within t- the t- parameters. T- t- when it
0: happens, it could be true. When it happens, <laughs> when it happens, he was right, like he always is. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, it was a huge moment for me. <clears throat> Everyone always asks, you know, they put a lot of pressure on you. Would you change anything? I always say, absolutely not. You know, everything that's happened happened for a reason. Take this, Taking me on this journey I was on and obviously things didn't work out. Uh, with the Chosen One thing, and then the 3MB thing happened, and then obviously I got fired. I when I got that call. I, it was a very you no know, surprising call. 3MB were on everything. I, I just assumed they were calling to tell me I was booked on something else, and they said, no, in fact, uh, you're fired. So I was, oh, okay. And that moment I sat down and thought to myself, okay, here's your opportunity. You've been thinking to yourself you can do so much more than you're doing. You've got a lot of people that believed in you and asking you, why aren't you stepping up your game? And, you know, you're not giving it your all, which is true. And I told myself that day, you know, I'm never not going to give 100% in every area. From this day forward, I'm going to show the world who the real Drew Galloway, or Drew McIntyre really is. And from that moment, I started putting together my plan of uh, how I was going to get out there. And within about three hours, I'd arranged my first appearance in Scotland. Uh, I was going to do a surprise um, appearance at their big show um, in Glasgow. And thankfully, that went well. Uh, Mick Foley put it over in Stone Cold's podcast. The ball got rolling. And my first match of when the Evolved title gave Sapolsky really gave me a huge platform and an opportunity. And from then, it just kept steamrolling and steamrolling. And thankfully, you know, people just kept giving me these opportunities, and I was able to prove that you know I was this actual franchise player and able to carry a company on my back. And more importantly, like you said, I went from this boy who kind of threw away his opportunity and his dream and wasn't giving his all to finally growing up and becoming a man who was doing what he was supposed to do all
1: along. So to that point, a lot of the stuff that you've said in interviews and on television about uh, eliminating complacency, that's something you truly believe. I mean, like I said, we talk a lot off camera, and and this is something that's not a a gimmick. It's not a character. It's not some some catchphrase. This is truly what Drew McIntyre has become.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I am psychotic when it comes to that and my drive you know i didn't necessarily love the scottish psychopath name because i wasn't necessarily doing anything psychotic on television but the real drew galloway is psychotic in his drive you know this is what i always wanted to do and i did let that huge opportunity slip away and i don't regret it like i say all the ups and downs have led me to the man i am today and the position i'm in you know to be ready to take on every opportunity um that's given to me but um if you've seen over the past couple of months, a few different things have happened where I was doing Eliminating Complacency, which was me. Then suddenly I was just talking about eating carcasses for a brief period. And then I was buddies with a bunch of guys, which wasn't the real Drew. And over the past couple of months, I've been given the okay to, hey, show them the real Drew Galloway. Show them the real Drew McIntyre. We've noticed things have started to change. I heard you in one of your rants of letting people be themselves. What you're seeing right now on television, that's Drew Galloway, that's Drew McIntyre.
1: So I've noticed you've been doing the, the countdown to the Claymore. Is that something that you came up with, or is, what's the purpose behind that?
0: Yeah, it's just something I felt in a house show once, and uh, I just did it. The crowd got involved. You know, I've always, like outside the company, was very interactive with the crowd, uh, be it on my promos or during my matches. It was a big thing for me, and uh, coming back to Raw, I was always you know, so serious for a while because that's what they wanted me to portray. And finally, when I got the OK to just be yourself, because all I was thinking the whole time and telling them the whole time was I'm a six foot five, 270 pound, hairy Scotsman. No one can relate to me. (laughs) I need to let them in a little bit. Just let me be myself. Show them up a bit silly. I like to have fun. I crack a few jokes. When it comes time to kick ass, I kick ass. That's what's going to make me relatable. And thankfully, that's what we're doing now. And people are responding to it. So as you, as you uh, just say there, you know the three, two, one thing that just came out of nowhere. That came out in a house show. I just did it, and now if I feel it, I do it. Now you're seeing 100% real Drew.
1: Well, I know the, the real Drew is a uh, bit of a wrestling junkie, like so many of us. You eat, sleep, breathe this business, and you are a lifelong fan. What would you credit uh, if, if any particular match or superstar that kind of set you down this long winding path as a kid?
0: I don't know if I could name anyone specifically it's just always like what i was going to do i can't remember exactly my brother and i started watching it at my cousins like as long as i can remember i was just overly obsessive my brother and i would put together our little match cards and we'd have the matches and play the part of each wrestler but we wouldn't just fight like a lot of brothers when well, you're fighting for real we'd work together to have the best possible match for the teddy bears
1: <laughs> we're always very weird you're putting o- putting over the stuffed animals
0: oh yeah it gets weirder by age 11 I was sent to America for like the inside secrets of pro wrestling volume 1 and 2 by Dennis Brent and Percy Pringle and the books You know, obviously talked about the inside terms they told me to keep kayfabe or Kafabe as I called it at the time so I kept <laughs> I kept the books in my uh, briefcase locked away and I'd play along with the guys at school who you know still didn't quite get how it worked and I was just nodding my head saying yeah that's right I'm keeping Kafabi right now, like the book told me to do. And um, like, uh, that whole time I was always looking for a wrestling school, and there was nothing in the UK at the time. Like, as you know, as you used to travel to the UK all the time yourself. The scene was dead. There was no wrestling skills, And it wasn't until I was age 14 that I finally convinced my mum to let me travel to the FWA, which was 12 hours from where we lived and one of only two schools in the UK at the time.
1: That was uh, Alex Shane, right?
0: Yeah, he ran the London branch, and Mark Sloan ran the Portsmouth branch. So I was mostly in Portsmouth, but Alex was there all the time since I was 14, 15. What a terrible influence it was on me that age.
1: Future advice to those that have children, when they're 14, don't let them in the wrestling business. Otherwise, they turn out like, like me and Drew. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you mentioned the UK scene being really dead when you were kind of breaking in. Nowadays, it's uh, quite the opposite. We've got NXT UK making a lot of noise over there. Do you keep eyes on that?
0: Oh, yeah. I've uh, been keeping eyes on it the entire time. You know, since I was gone from WWE and came back uh, to WWE, I was just blown away. You know, when I got signed, myself and Sheamus were the main feud across Europe. <clears throat> We'd feud across, like, Scotland, England, Ireland. And when we got signed, again, the scene was just nothing. And uh, It was All-Star Wrestling, Brian Dixon was the only full-time place where I worked during my school uh, holidays. And I went away to WWE for eight years. And coming back and seeing the level of talent that had grown and not just like in ring, but the characters and stuff and how different it was and how big it was getting. And, you know, we were just really onto something special. And I saw an opportunity. I was like, okay, I think I can really help here you know, with my experience. And obviously with ICW in Scotland being Scottish also, I was like, we can really do some cool things here. It was the right time, the right roster. Everybody was so motivated. And we took that first show that I returned at with 1,500 people. To my first big show where I won the title, we got two thousand people. And then the following year, the big show, Grado and I, we got four thousand people. And then at the biggest at the time, independent show in about thirty years, we got over seven thousand people. And it was just incredible to be a part of that boom period and feel like you know really made a difference. Obviously, WWE, the name's what sells it. You know, if you're John Cena, etc., you're obviously gonna make a difference. But it's the name WWE that sells the tickets. Uh being you know somebody who's actually moving tickets and seeing the difference in business is you know one of the biggest highlights of my career and always been very special to me that I did it with my friends.
1: Who, if you had to name names, stands out to you right now, whether it's in NXT UK or beyond? God, there's so many of
0: them. Right now, around the world I've you know wrestled so many guys that are so talented that have you know got their opportunities, etc. that weren't exactly um uh, you know, big names at the time, like the Ricochets and Will Ospreys. When I wrestled them, I just like, what the heck is going on here? These people aren't human. <laughs> the things they can do and watching NXT UK and seeing, you know, some of the guys like the Gallus, you know, getting the opportunity to be on uh, the UK takeovers and, you know, Tyler Bate and Jordan Devlin, I watched that match. It was just unbelievable. And Big Walter, you know, we tangled briefly at Survivor Series. I know everyone was very upset. I put him down with the claymore. And uh, <laughs> you know, we had a nice, a nice little chop off. So I'd like to revisit that when the time's right.
1: Sign me up. Hopefully you get to do that. Something that I get to call because Walter versus Drew McIntyre, I am here for it. What is uh, on the horizon for Drew McIntyre in 2020?
0: Uh, Well, as we mentioned at the beginning, I think it's finally time to get that title shot. You know, it's a very interesting story, and I hope we get the opportunity to tell my real story uh, because we have so much footage. You know, uh, when I was a legit kid in WWE, they have footage of me having dark matches with Omega. Before the Usos were signed, I remember, a funny story quickly, the Usos enjoyed this one. Before they were signed, uh, they were in catering, <clears throat> sitting with the Maga. I who had a dart match with him. I don't think he was too happy he was in the dart match, but I think Vince said, oh, I see something in this guy. You mind having a match with him? So he told them, I'm going to mess with this kid. I didn't know. I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this guy's going to beat the crap out of me. So he dodged me all day. I kept trying to find him. He'd see me, try to chase him down to talk about the match. he keep dodging me, dodging me, dodging me. And then he keep telling the Usos, like, look at this kid. So they could see me in the corner sweating. like 22 at the time, fighting a mag in a darn match, thinking he's legit going to murder me. 20 minutes before, he came up to me and said, this is what we're doing. Boom, 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 boom. We went out there. Easiest match of my life. That was a fun story <laughs> to look back on. But we just have this wealth of footage from me being a kid and going into the Chosen One thing and the 3MB. And we have footage from a lot of the independent places and just watching my growth to where I'm at now and finally getting you know that title shot. I think is a very interesting story. And I think you know we're getting close to actually Telling the true story of, you know, Drew McIntyre, Drew Galloway, and that's where the fans are going to really, you know, get to know me and finally relate to the big, giant, Harry Scotsman. <laughs>
1: well, I can't wait, man. I, I would love to sit down and check out all that footage. And Lord knows when our, uh, our company puts their mind to something, they make better video packages and 24 and Chronicle and all that. So give me one of those on drew mcintyre i have no doubt in my mind you will have your championship opportunity hopefully sooner than later but uh hey if it doesn't happen for another three or four years mr mcmahon just said in the future right so i guess he's technically not wrong
0: <laughs> technically true but the thing is i've been saying i refuse to say i'm the future in tv anymore i told one of the writers i was like listen i've been saying this for 12 years i gotta be the present eventually one day i'm just gonna say i'm the past and it was never the present
1: so eventually <laughs> i've got to say
0: i'm the bloody present also, I hear everybody with the Broken Dreams chat, my old theme music. Yes, I love it too, but I currently like the one I've got. So I just want to shout that out to everyone because I get 100 bloody messages a day saying bring back Broken Dreams. Maybe it would work for that uh, video package you were talking about there.
1: There you go. I can't wait to see it. And I, for one, am all about the uh, the current theme music. There's something ominous when, when that bagpipe hits. It's like, uh-oh, something's about to go down.
0: Oh, yeah, that's my war music. I feel bad for my opponents. Every time it comes on, I feel like I'm marching into battle with William Wallace and chop the crap out of everybody.
1: (laughs) Right on. All right, Drew, well, good luck to you, man. Good luck in the Royal Rumble. You are still my pick, even if I said I changed my answer. And let's hope that there are some big, shiny WrestleMania lights in your future. Hopefully there's a big title on the line. Fingers crossed. I'm just going to keep doing what I do. That's all you can do. All you can do. Thanks, Drew. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, it. Take care. The magical time of year is rapidly approaching. No, I'm not talking about spring. I'm talking about sign-pointing season. We all know that beginning the night of the Royal Rumble, everybody who steps in the ring and finds a camera in front of them will point to the big, massive WrestleMania sign, which hopefully this year will look like a big pirate ship because it's in Tampa, and there's a pirate ship in the stadium, and it's cool. But yeah, it's crazy to me. It feels like we just did WrestleMania last year, and here we are approaching the Royal Rumble, which to me is regularly kind of my favorite pay-per-view of the year, just for the unpredictability and the surprises and the stories that can be told in the context of the Royal Rumble matches. Uh, here's to hoping... Another successful year with some cool surprises. How about Nia Jax last year coming out and competing in the Men's Royal Rumble? There's usually a return or two. I don't have anything to spoil for you because I like to be surprised on my own. So that's cool. And then before you know it, we will be at WrestleMania. Wow. King Corbin, Kentucky. That's right. It became a real thing. Uh, I was buzzed by our social media team on Friday before SmackDown, uh, so when I actually mentioned my sources on the show itself, I wasn't lying for once. I actually had sources that told me that Corbin, Kentucky, a city that apparently is large enough to host WWE Live, uh, I don't know to my knowledge that I've ever been there, but now I will make it a point. It is a destination. Thanks to you, the WWE Universe, forced the hand of the officials in Corbin, Kentucky to, at least for the day, rename it King Corbin, Kentucky. I texted King Corbin to congratulate him and laugh at what a ridiculous situation and scenario it is. And he replied, but I even got a plaque and everything. So hats off to you, WWE Universe. Never underestimate people with a goal. I hope King Corbin has a massive role in WrestleMania, which I have a feeling he will And while we're talking WrestleMania, talking Royal Rumble, I am still late to the party as I often am because I have little to no free time. Tried my best to check out uh, New Japan, Wrestle Kingdom. Shout out to those guys. My guy Juice Robinson, who I will never forget, even though he doesn't acknowledge us and he has disowned us in his WWE family. Uh, I think it's really cool that the event has gotten so big, they did it over two days, which doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility for WrestleMania. What do you think? Would you be into two four-hour WrestleManias or a three-hour and a four-hour rather than a 31-hour WrestleMania like we've had for the last few years? I want to know what you think. Use the hashtag after the bell. Shoot me a tweet. Let me know. Are you into the idea of a two-day WrestleMania? I think it'd be kind of cool. Make a whole weekend out of it. There already is a weekend out of it when you factor in TakeOver and the Hall of Fame and everything. But, uh, I'd be into two nights of action and both nights being super important. Maybe you have the Universal Championship on one night and the WWE Championship on the other. Two true main events over WrestleMania weekend rather than trying to shuffle it all together. It might be kind of a cool idea. Not my idea, just a cool idea. Let me know what you think. Yes! 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 If
2: you've never been to the Maryland Renaissance Festival, you don't know what you're missing. There's so much to see and do. It's like a 16th century theme park with shops and pubs, food and games, live jousting. Crafts and music, 10 stages with non-stop entertainment. Fun for the whole family. Saturdays, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th. Near Annapolis, the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Time travel to fun.
1: My guest at this time has dominated rings all over the world on the Independence, and much more recently shined brightly under the lights of NXT and even had a a cup of coffee at Survivor Series with the big dog. Please welcome Keith Lee. Keith, what's going on, dude? How are you?
2: Greetings and salutations. Uh, Things are quite well, man. How are you?
1: I could always be worse. So the WWE Universe is pretty familiar with you and your work on NXT, but, uh, it was a long journey to get there. So let's, uh, take a trip down memory lane, shall we? How did Keith Lee come to be in WWE?
2: Unlike most people, I was inspired by my grandmother rather than a wrestler. And about three years in, um, some people would know him as Lance Archer. Some people would know him as Lance Hoyt. At that time, he was in WWE and kind of said to somebody that I should be one to look out for, and then I got invited to do some extra work. I did, in my case, get thrown into a barricade by one Mr. Triple H and uh, also got poked in the eye by Shane McMahon and punched in the face by
1: Vince. (laughs) Get the Holy Trinity.
2: Yeah, that was my introduction to the the bosses uh, that are of today. So uh, that was my experience. But at some point, someone gained interest in that first meeting, and I ended up with my first tryout. And I had one more. That was in two thousand eight, and I was turned down. And then in two thousand eleven, um, I did another little piece of extra work, and then I got asked to come back for another tryout, and I was also turned down, Uh, and I really wasn't sure what I would be doing wrestling-wise going forward. In 2013, when the Performance Center first opened up that fall, I was a part of that first class, and then I was turned down a third time, and so... Uh, I really wasn't sure if I was going to continue wrestling, and uh, then I had a conversation with uh, one Mr. William Regal and Dusty Rhodes, and uh, a a brief few words with also Mr. Jim Ross. And I, I think that without those first two, I probably would not have continued wrestling, to be completely honest. Um and i pursued a different dream which was just making it on my own on the indies and and building a name out of sheer willpower and eventually i did enough good deeds and turned enough heads and and shocked enough people that eventually they came looking for me and and it was completely different at that time so it took uh almost 14 years to to get there. So it's a very long journey from there.
1: Yeah, just a testament to keep on grinding all the time. And you uh, you mentioned shocking enough people. I'm assuming you're referencing your skill set, which is quite unique for a man of your size. What really inspired you to be able to do these sort of things? Uh, I mean, let's be honest, there aren't too many 300-pounders who can move like
2: you do. I think that that conversation with Dusty and Regal was the point where I decided to just be myself. I spent a lot of time coming up in wrestling, trying to be what everyone thought that I should be in terms of what a, air quotes, big guy is. (laughs) Uh, But in my history, from sports to martial arts, I've always been a very versatile type of athlete. So I've never been stuck in one thing and how I felt like I should be in wrestling. And a lot of people didn't think that, but, um, after that talk, I decided to just listen to myself and bet on myself. And at the end of the day, it was the greatest decision I, I made.
1: Now you mentioned what a 300 pounder air quotes should do. Um, I've been privy to some of those conversations I've seen coming up through the Performance Center. Uh, Braun Strowman immediately comes to mind, a guy who's surprisingly agile for his size. Has that been anything that you've sort of been coached on or or they've tried to break or change about you since you've arrived in NXT? It was your style and your athleticism?
2: Uh, I wouldn't say that they've tried to break it uh, or change it. I think that they wanted to... When I first got there, they wanted to see what else I was capable of, or if that was all I brought to the table. And it took a long time for them to, uh, I guess, kind of pay attention to those things and see that there was more to me than just uh, a guy that's really athletic. And I think that that may, and I, I don't know this for certain, but I think that that may, uh, have had some sort of start-stop scenario because no one knew exactly what Keith Lee was. They, they don't see something like me on the regular. So I think that I was a puzzle that people were trying to figure out and put together. And once they managed to do so, then there became some some sort of confidence maybe to give me more opportunity and then when they figured out that i could thrive then came more opportunities and so we found ourselves in our current scenario
1: well triple h was on the show not too long ago and he spoke of the importance of of creating new stars and really just seeing who maximizes the opportunity and i think you definitely are one that stands out in that i remember watching nxt and i had known of you and then we'd bumped you know bumped into each other in the past but To to You kind of came out of nowhere, even on NXT, whereas you weren't really featured at the time. And then next thing you know, it's Keith Lee main eventing with Dijakovic and whatnot really opened a lot of people's eyes. Fast forward a few months, and you find yourself at the Survivor Series opposite Roman Reigns as the last two in the men's Survivor Series match.
2: Definitely in the moment, I was supremely focused. And, And such is my nature when it comes to an opportunity. I have every intention to smash it as best as I possibly can. In hindsight, that's probably the most bananas scenario that anyone could have ever thought of, completely unexpected and um still hearing the effects of it uh to this day and I'm sure that it'll reverberate for a little while um you don't just find yourself in that situation you that takes some. I think, trust and a certain level of belief and maybe maybe just taking a chance to see what Keith Lee's made of.
1: You still have uh, unfinished business in NXT. You earned yourself a North American championship opportunity with Roderick Strong. Uh, is there still a lot more business you want to take care of in NXT, and what are the odds that uh, Keith Lee's focused on making a Raw or SmackDown appearance in the more recent future?
2: I don't know what my future is in NXT. I know that right now I have a great opportunity to earn my first piece of gold in WWE. And that's supremely important to me. Um, I think that it's something that can be a defining moment in everything that I've said about myself and proving it. And so, um, my focus is there right now, but I, I certainly wouldn't turn down any opportunities uh, going forward for other places in terms of raw or SmackDown. And it'll just depend on how, for lack of better
1: terminology, the cookie crumbles. I appreciate that outlook greatly, but I'm going to ask you to shift your focus, totally break your concentration. There is no way you can strategize for what is about to happen to you. Keith Lee, this is potentially the worst segment on after the bell, but we (laughs) keep doing it. Uh, It is called The Electric Seat, and I am going to rapid-fire some questions at you. Just give me an honest, quick answer as fast as you can. You will have one minute to answer as many questions as you possibly can. If you win, you get absolutely nothing.
2: Wonderful. This
1: is a fantastic game. So, Keith Lee, are you ready? I am prepared. Do your worst. One minute on the clock. Keith, what's the last thing you bought on Amazon? Gatsby body wipes with alcohol. Your favorite Pokemon? Mewtwo. Childhood celebrity crush? Topanga. Oh, good one. Favorite four-letter word? Uh, darn. (laughs) Secret hidden talent? Building computers, actually. Mario or Sonic? Sonic. Favorite song?
2: Uh, Tennessee whiskey.
1: Dragon Ball Z or My Hero Academia?
2: Ooh, My Hero Academia.
1: Ugh. <laughs> Your go to karaoke song?
2: Uh, if I Ever Fall in Love
1: by Shy. There you go. Uh, favorite cheat meal? Pizza. Favorite city to wake up in? Ooh, uh,
2: darn, that's a really good one.
1: Well, we're out of time, so you win. Ah. (laughs) I was looking for your uh, secret hidden talent to be your singing ability that I became privy to in Vancouver not too long ago, but I promised I would not put that into the universe so that I I apologize. Maybe we'll edit this out, or maybe we won't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) May as well leave it in, brother.
1: (laughs) Right on. Well, Keith, I'm having fun watching uh, watching your journey and your growth here in WWE. Good luck with uh, the North American Championship match and big things on the horizon. I hope, I think I made a prediction here on the show that I see you in the Royal Rumble match, but uh, you know, we'll see how that cookie crumbles.
2: Fair enough. I, I'm in agreement with you. I'm very hopeful.
1: Right on. Good luck, Keith. I'll talk to you soon, dude. Thanks, boss, man. Last week on ATB, decided to try something a little different. Wanted to get you, the listeners, involved, and you disappointed me. Let's be perfectly honest. I wanted to have fun. I didn't want to fight on Twitter for once. I asked you guys who in the WWE universe would fit into the Mandalorian roles. And I got a couple good ones. My favorite came from a dude called Jake Storms with a Z. That means he's extreme. It's like spelling extreme with an X. You end things with a Z because you're dangerous. Uh, He thinks Baby Yoda should be played by Drake Maverick. I kind of agree. I kind of want to put Drake in a Little cart and push him around. Even better if he could just float it himself and follow me around everywhere I go. Oh, Spud, you're so adorable. And I asked, what the hell was in Eric Rowan's cage? What's in the box? Again, you guys let me down. Someone was like, oh, maybe it's a Komodo dragon or maybe it's a lizard. And I, yeah, I mean, I guess so. I was trying to get some outlandish fun out of you guys, but... You're all disappointing. Sean A. Agen. Agin, Agen. something. If you write your name and I see it, chances of me mispronouncing it are high. Sean thinks it's Daniel Bryan's beard, which I don't know what planet Sean lives on where beards can spew red mist or bite people's faces off. But thanks for playing, Sean. You are the exception to the rule. You did not disappoint me. This week, instead of me asking you to do actual work involving your thumbs because that's too much, I'm going to give you some passive homework. Log on to WWE Network. Cue up the 1992 Royal Rumble. Get yourself prepared for the Rumble coming up in just a few weeks. Here in 2020, 1992, my personal favorite Royal Rumble ever. It was for the then-vacant WWE Championship I don't want to spoil it for you, but Ric Flair plays a pretty freaking pivotal role in it. It's one of career, or one of my favorite performances of Ric Flair's career, and what always stands out to me personally is the greatest of all time, Bobby the Brain Heenan, who was magic for the entire night, particularly the Royal Rumble match itself. It's fun. It's a great trip down memory lane. You'll see some guys that you forgot about, some guys that aren't with us anymore. But either way, everything about it is so much fun. So. Do yourself a favor. Don't do me a favor, because I won't know. But do yourself a favor and watch the 1992 Royal Rumble. Be sure to follow at AfterTheBellWWE on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Android users, follow ATB on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Podcasts, or your podcast app of choice so you never miss an episode. Subscribe to ATB. Give me five stars on Apple Podcasts so the word gets out. Follow me at WWE Graves, and you might catch a little wisdom, a little shrapnel your way, some wisdom, because you know I am the Zen master. So I've got some Zen for you this week from Mr. Winston Churchill. He said, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Think about that. Digest it. Go about your business. I will be here. Literally in this chair next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. This has been an original WWE podcast.